This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. We live in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Kathleen Reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences will boggle your mind. We also cover breaking news as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. A quick note before we begin, you're going to hear the term Hispanic and Latino used interchangeably, recognizing that there are no good words to describe these political people groups, like Asian. What the hell does that mean? So um, apologies uh, if that's not the terms or these aren't the terms you use. Uh, We thought about Latinx until we saw that like 95% of people that might describe don't even know the term or don't use the term. So let's just say there's no correct or good term to describe people groups in these broad terms. And so we're left with the words we have. So yeah, just consider that as you listen. Let's get to this episode. I regret to inform you, you're on chapel probation podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities, particularly Azusa Pacific University, where I taught English for 15 years. I'm Scott Okamoto. I'm writing a book about my experience deconstructing all the way to agnostic atheism while teaching at APU. The first time I heard about a student org for Hispanic students was in the mid-2000s, Amigos, which stands for a mixed intercultural group of students, I believe. It was a cultural appreciation club that gathered students to dance and do things like worship. During those years, APU culture and evangelical culture overall used black identities for cred, ignored completely Asian identities, and criminalized Hispanic identities. APU students were known to say horrible things about everyone they deemed bad or suspect, but Hispanic people got the brunt of the hate. I have a story up on my website at rscottokamoto.com about this. Matt, Rod, and Jonathan Garcia, who will be in a later episode of this podcast, created Lhasa and turned it into a powerhouse that the school would come to fear. In my mind, there is the multi-ethnic programs landscape pre-Lhasa, during Lhasa, and post-Lhasa. In terms of impact on the culture of the campus, Lhasa reigned supreme in the MEP world. BSA, as you heard from Des in episode one, was a safe space far away from the white culture at APU. Apasa was, well, basically nothing to anyone outside of the 10 or 12 students who came. And Lhasa, well, Lhasa would force APU to confront its white supremacist identity head on in what would end up being an embarrassing failure on the part of the school when Lhasa tried to honor the late Joe Snell, the director of the multi-ethnic programs, with a Dia de los Muertos ofrenda. In short, Lhasa made the school and its leaders look like the assholes that they were. That's my opinion, shared by many, including a former prof and a former administrator you'll hear in the coming weeks. But Matt and Rod are much better people than I am. They, of course, were outraged at how they were treated, and at their blatant racism, but they still respected the leaders of the school for even bothering to meet with them and have town hall meetings. I saw those actions as hollow gestures that really didn't result in anything but calming the angry students and eventually gutting the multi-ethnic programs completely. You can decide for yourselves, but hey, this is my podcast, so I'm on the side of fuck APU. I love Matt and Rod like brothers, but fuck APU. Hello, my name is Rod Olmeda Lopez. Um, I graduated in 2010 with a biblical studies major. Matthew Gonzalez, 
I graduated in 20, what did you say, Rod? 2010? 2010. And I was a poli-sci major. All right. And how would each of you describe your spiritual identities now? Your religious spiritual identities? Um, I think I would describe myself as like a agnostic-ish who wishes I believed in Christianity more. But yeah. I'm being real. Not that much, <laughs> but I like it kind of. <laughs> you like agnosticism or or Christianity? Um, I like I like some Christianity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, cool. I like it. There's a lot of nice parts to it, but sure, like salt. A lot of nice as a little flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would be hard in the agnostic camp. Uh, the only reason I'm not atheist is because of C.S. Lewis, or else I would be atheist probably. Um, because of Aslan, I it was about just that Narnia. Guy. Narnia did it for me. No, in um, right. I think it was in Mr. Tomnus. <laughs> I think it was in Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis said, "To prove something exists, you just need one example of it. To prove something doesn't exist, you need absolute knowledge." And that actually felt like hmm. a really humble way of thinking about the universe. And I was like, I. I leave the opportunity open for there to be this like all powerful being, but knowing what I know and knowing what I've experienced, I see nothing pointing to this being existing. So agnostic because I like to keep some humility in there that like, I don't know everything and who knows I could die and find out surprise. You were wrong. (laughs) I'll be like, all right, I left room for that. (laughs) My bad. Ouch. Did you guys join amigos when you first got there? So when I got to APU, um, I did not have a strong sense of like, of my Latino identity. Um, I, I, then I guess I should explain that. Um, so like I, I when I, I converted to evangelicalism kind of on my own um, in high school, like my family still would not identify as evangelical. I, I was the one. And I went from like a Latino Catholic um family kind of culturally catholic not like very strong in terms of like the deep beliefs but mm-hmm. um to like an evangelical church that was actually where i met matt um that was very um oh. white and if not like actually white very like white um leaning white so even, centered yeah yeah so even the people of color i think would try to align themselves with whiteness a lot right. um and that was so so the thing is my like brush up with christianity i only understood like Latino is like Catholic. I mean, I knew there were non-Catholic Latinos, obviously, but like sure. that felt very extreme, right, to me because a lot of times it was really hardcore, like Pentecostal. I was like, that's a lot. I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, and so then going to evangelicalism, a very white, you know, what we this podcast has covered already and will continue to, like very, very white American world. So my understanding of to be a Christian is to be a white evangelical, even if my skin is not white or whatever, but that mindset. So I was fully bought into that going to, going to tape you in every way you can imagine. So I remember mm-hmm. even being like, what's the point of having a like Latino group? Like there's no point in that. Like, yeah, you know, just that's how the Asian kids are too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Well, I was, I was yeah. definitely there too. Definitely there. Yeah. Sure. So, so you, Rod wasn't interested, Matt, I assume you were not also interested in going to Amigos. Yeah. I don't know. So, my like, my mom grew up Catholic. She converted to evangelicalism, more like the Calvary Chapel movement, to your point. So I went to Calvary churches when I was like a kid, kid. But the church that Rod went to, I ended up growing up in. So by like, probably like fourth grade, fifth grade, we started going there. And I went there through until I went to APU. So two years into college as well. Um, and sort of like grew up those mindsets. I think also for me, where I was in my own cultural identity, growing up in Southern California, Latino, but not Mexican, I always just felt like really confusing. Like if to be Latino was to be Mexican, well then maybe I'm not Latino. It was like, it was like this weird confusion for me. And also just like Caribbean, like colorism versus I think like how Latino identity shows up on the Southwest. So I, and I went to a, a pretty white high school and I was a swimmer and a water polo player. So like, like Rod, I think I had just kind of like grown up around this for me specifically. Um, I was used to it. And I think also just dealing with my own, like growing up, like truthfully, like to speak Spanish, every time I saw it, it was associated with poverty, being low income. 
And in many ways, English represented like arriving, like being successful. So I don't, I didn't have that language in high school, but like, I definitely found myself gravitating. It's like, well, if I want to do something, if I want to build on the hard work of my mother and my grandparents to have a better life for me, Mm -hmm. to have a better life for the future, I didn't know this, but I was basically thinking like, I need to speak English well, I need to be successful in like white spaces. So, but APU did kind of confuse me because I had never been in such a white space 24 seven. Like I didn't realize how not white my upbringing was until I was there. Like at home, my grandma never spoke English. Like, so I was at home, like we would speak Spanish. I mean, Rod's parents, I know I'd be, we'd come over like they're speaking Spanish at home. Like, so even though we were like doing this thing with like our friends and I think with our Christian identities, we still like, I'm very Latino, of course, Rod, Rod even more connected, I would say probably than me in a lot of ways. But when I went to APU, it was like confusing to see so few Latinos. Because even Whittier, where we grew up, I later realized it was just a Latino suburb, but it wasn't yeah. the stereotype, like it wasn't the hood. So I got not associate it with that until I went to APU right. and I was like, oh my goodness, like everyone here is super white. I'm not that, like, I don't know what's what. And then I did enjoy Amigos because it felt like just a salsa dancing club. And I was like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, have time for that. Um, but I was very, Rod and I both were already very advocate, advocacy, little advocate oriented. We had been doing a lot of advocacy even in our church before. So when everything went down in the town hall with that student drawing swastikas on, I think specifically black students' cars, but definitely students' cars, and Wallace held the town hall, that's when Yvette Arizari, the president of Amigos, I came up crying about like how hard she was working to advocate for Latino students and create space for them and how little support she had. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing anything. Like I should help. <laughs> like she's working her ass off. If I think we could be more active and do stuff that isn't dancing, I can voice that as a member versus just like being bitter in the corner. So I went up yeah. to her that night at the end of the town hall and I was like, how do I join? Um, and that's when I became a member of Amigos. So let's back up. I, I fucked up the the swastika story in Dez's episode because <laughs> um, it's confusing because there's so many swastika stories. <laughs> and you Which should know. You about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt Matt was the first to say that's not the right swastika story, and I was like, oh, that's I got him backwards. And then someone else is like, no, there was another one. I'm like, wait, how, how many fucking swastika stories are there? <laughs> so let's back up. So. Uh, you're saying this town hall was kind of like your awakening into advocacy on campus at APU. So I was already like social justice-y uh, in my, yeah. like like the, and honestly my biggest challenges with Christianity and why I was questioning it was how poorly I thought it answered social justice questions. Like if God gives us our yeah. food every day and some people are dying without food and they're praying for it, God is what? Like, I didn't need the food. God, why aren't you giving it to them? So God wants these, is choosing for these people to die. Like, I thought there were a lot of gaps there. Anyway, but I was very much becoming more and more advocate, maybe less and less Christian. But when this stuff happened on campus, I, we grew up with white people, but like that, that shit didn't happen. Like there were not swaths, like (laughs) there were like the crazy kids and no one had friends maybe like, but if they were too public, they'd get their ass kicked. Like there's no, there was no, there was none of that. So to see that like really tripped me out one that it could even happen. Like sure. In like Alabama or I I think of images of the South, not Southern California. Um, It occurred to me listening to Matt there that Ass kickings were the missing ingredient in the otherwise diverse Southern California setting. Matt noticed what all non-conservatives notice. It's something I've talked about before. It's, it's not that there are racist students and faculty at APU. There are racists everywhere, even in Southern California. It's that they were so comfortable at APU because if the things said by students and faculty were said outside of APU, they would get their asses kicked, literally and figuratively. But the racism was not dealt with, leaving us to feel unsafe and unsupported by the administration and fearful of the culture of the school. They could have thrown a town hall meeting every day where they would nod and express sympathy, but the culture of accepted racism under the evangelical tent would remain. 
And then to see students who I didn't really know because I was a transfer student, like Rod had relationships with all these students, uh, like crying and weeping and feeling like they didn't have like help. And they looked like me and they looked like my friends. And I was like, I'm a poli-sci major, or I, I don't know if I was poli-sci at that point, but I, I care about these things. Like I can really yeah. help. So what was the town hall? Town hall, I believe that was the first one ever, but Scott, you were there before, so tell me. Basically, no, I think so, I think it was, yeah. Okay, there was so much student outrage at what happened that John Wallace, the president of our university at the time, was like, "I'm going to speak to students directly." Um, and there was just a room. I think it was the top of UTC, like the back half, for all you APU nerds out there. Um, and it was Lower just John UTC. <laughs> I, I think Rod, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was just John. I don't think, like. Mike Lazarga and other board members didn't start joining until the later iterations. Yeah, they didn't come until the the big loss of Buha. Yeah, until Day of the Dead, I think, was when it came. But like, so John and then students, and he's like, here's what I heard. Here's what we're doing. And there's a mic. Just talk. And students first started with like their outrage at what happened. But I think the bigger theme quickly became students of color talking about how unsupported they felt that this wasn't the only manifestation. Sometimes racism is perpetrated in the classroom or in the dorms or by the mouths of teachers. And I think it was the first time the administration just like sat and kind of like took it. And I also remember being kind of inspired by that this happened. I went to Florida Community College. No one had access to the president or like any of this stuff. So I did feel like respect that he did it, that he just took it. And he wasn't defensive. He was just like, okay, that's awful. And I was just like, whoa, like not only are my fellow students upset and hurt, but I see an administrator at least saying he wants to do something about it. So there's potential opportunity there. And that's why I was like, not, I was already an advocate, but that's where I was like, I think change can happen here. And that's when I stepped yeah. in. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Rod, to, to, from what you remember? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll back up as well. Um, it might mess up the flow of your editing. So this might. might no, no, it's fine. No, it's all good. It's all good. Well, I will say like, if you, you'll notice there was like a jump between like evangelical, evangelical, evangelical college. And then there was like a, we became like active activists, I guess you could say. And I think that turnaround happened, happened fairly quickly for myself. And I, I, I speak for Matt, I guess also for both of us in a sense, because I remember even freshman year taking um, like, uh, it was an Exodus Deuteronomy class, right? And I remember being like, from the beginning, fantastic professor, like just, it was like from a perspective of like a liberation theology lens and blah, blah. And I was like, wait, 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 what are we reading? Like, what is this about? And so pretty quickly, I think like like that that white American evangelicalism um, got, began to get deconstructed pretty quickly um, for me. And at the same time, like exposure to different things. There was that a really popular book around that time called The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. Um, that was pretty instrumental. And it's funny because now I look back, I'm like, it feels corny, but like it was actually pretty, like it had a big impact at the time with whatever like paradigm I was working with, right? And so I think like, so that activism stuff ended up happening pretty quickly. I would say by the end of freshman year, I was in a very different place than I was um, at the beginning. Still very much a Christian, but very sure. just not that initial one and so like i think a lot of those things happened what would have been my sophomore year um so rod too joins the long list of students who by simply taking bible classes with actual bible teachers deconstructed his faith but more than just deconstructing white evangelicalism rod and matt built identities of social justice warriors like real warriors who fought actual battles and changed the world around them with the town hall and all that and it became kind of an entry point um, for that activism. And I, I don't think I have anything else to add about that town hall. I do remember um, having a sense of like, wow, there is a there is a possibility here to be heard. And like, there doesn't feel like, like there's a lot of resistance from the people in power that we are seeing in front of us right now. Now, of course, there's, there's, there is. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was not the right guy to be right, uh, right. To, to be barking at because exactly. Exactly. as much as I'm sure he cared and I'm sure yeah. it broke, broke him on, on many levels. Yeah, but he he was not the person that could actually make changes. Right. Um, those people were not there. Um, yeah. So, from my perspective, I was struck at how the swastikas didn't move white kids <laughs> at all. They were like, "Oh, that's not cool." 
it didn't really bother them. It didn't ruin their day. You know, it was, there was, there's so many of my students were just like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's not cool. But, but seeing well, other students just in tears, it was just like, wow, because it doesn't affect you, you know. I did see it, though. Like the global studies students, like the sociology students, I will say mm. from the beginning that I was there and like the town hall, there was always a, a pretty a small for sure. Um, yeah. I think most of APU, if I were to like break us down, it's like 5% of the white students are these allies. Then there was like yeah, yeah. 90% didn't care. <laughs> and then <Yeah>. 5% <laughs> was like the right, the alt-right. And they were like, we need more racism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I was inspired by that swastika. <laughs> yeah. Because I do want to call it, because I even remember like early when I revolted and we left Amigos and we created Lhasa, um, th- there were some white like friends and students that were like involved in the beginning and like some of the biggest supporters and like ours and stuff. Um, Definitely. Yeah. That's not a defense of like whiteness isn't yeah, bad, white. but just to say like we've had, white. we did have allies from the beginning uh, who Definitely. were really good friends. Um, yeah. yeah. Matt's all going, not all white people, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just like, no, I like true. the nuance, right? Like it was, no, it absolutely. Just, like, no, no. I was only talking things. about my students who were like all, mostly freshmen and sophomore and not involved. Matt is a glass is 5% full kind of person, as opposed to me being a glass is 95% empty kind of person. But that's why I love Matt so much. Any of those programs. Scott, um, you saw the word. I think you saw it. <laughs> I just like, because I know those things were said, but I feel like they just, they wouldn't say it to me. Like, I, I remember my yeah. freshman year, I would hear a lot more ignorance because I feel like yeah. I blended in. But as college went on, I started wearing, you know, fucking shirts that said shit or whatever. I feel like people <laughs> wouldn't, like, I feel like they, they just, they, they wouldn't talk to me. Like, they just wouldn't, yeah. right? Because they knew that I would, like, call yeah. my, you know, brown from black friends and we would, <laughs> like, do something, <laughs> whatever, you know? So it's, I feel like you heard so many things that I'm like, yeah, yeah. surprise me. Well, they, the assumption is that Asians are, you know, like, white adjacent or something mm-hmm. and so like yeah they would they felt comfortable just saying shit and plus when you're freshman and sophomore also you just you don't have the same filters as as you do when you get older um i think okay so two, oh, yeah. i was gonna say yeah, go ahead. Me, me and rod's years i think we did change i don't know i don't know what to call it but like we made we weren't the only ones like there were other organizers like apostle bsa 100 percent um but we definitely went hard into the like advocacy and not yeah. in secret. Like we were in clause articles. We were, uh, I mean, I'm a light skinned Latino. Like uh, I for sure have grown up in white passing environments where people say things in front of me, they would never say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they would like forget my Latino-ness. But, e- and I heard that a little bit at the start of APU, but when we became more and more public, I think people yeah. were like more and more attuned to who else is in the room maybe. And like they would yes. not as much dare. They still some people did, but I do think there was more like, <laughs> oh wait, people are listening. Who's in the room? Yeah, uh, yeah. and you're gonna get yeah. clapped back at. So, so that's 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 exactly where I'm going with this. So you you weren't satisfied with how Amigos was run. So how did you how did Lhasa come about? So I think. At first I joined, Rod was kind of like, whatever, dude. <laughs> Rod, I feel like, was more, like, alpha. He was a male scholar. So, like, I think was getting his, like, advocacy fixes, like, through those channels. And I didn't have that. So, for me, Amigos was that. Um, yeah. And pretty quickly, I, I just asked if I could be an officer. And it turned out there weren't a lot of people volunteering to do that level of commitment. And a semester in... I, P.S., I still hated the name Amigos. Like, Rod and I constantly were very open about hating this name because the only thing about it that was Latino was that it was in Spanish. And we're like, because a mixed intercultural group of students can be anyone. Anyway, I won't go go too deep into that, but I hated it. And so a month, a semester into being an officer, Yvette Arizari, who was the president, um, she, she ends up getting an awesome opportunity. The nursing program had just launched the South African like branch and was letting nursing students do it. She's like, I'm going to do it. I'm about to graduate. This is such a unique opportunity. And that's when the officers spoke. There were three of them and wanted me to be president. And that's when I said like, okay, if I'm president though, I want to bring in officers 
and like I don't want people voting. Like our, our organization isn't very strong. Like voting was just like a, a like who wants to do it? Like a, like who doesn't not want to do it little enough to not fight is like what was <laughs> happening I think for like ethnic org officers and I was like I don't want that like if we're going to build an organization that's like going to change things we need officers that are engaged and passionate not that like are being forced to show up to meetings um, and they're like okay that's fine uh, so after they sort of graduated they let me there were no real bylaws or constitutions so I was like YOLO I'm bringing in Rod I'm bringing in Jonathan Garcia I'm going to and then winter break between freshman and soft and then that fall we had the meeting where we told we rod jonathan and i had been brainstorming names forever that's why i know what bsa is called because we thought about being lsa because uh, we were so inspired because bsa at the time was the most active ethnic core it was doing super cool mm-hmm. work and had a history of doing really cool work whereas latino mm-hmm. work historically was not as much of a powerhouse and we wanted right. to become that so we're like amigos is gone what do we call it um so many different names. Lasso was one of them. We're like, that sounds like a cowboy. Uh, LSA. Uh, we ended up with Lasa because we wanted it to be a word. We did like that Amigos was a word. It wasn't just letters. And it just like, yeah. there was something about it that we liked. So we went with Lasa. We brought together all the members uh, to to have dinner at lunch. No, dinner at a pupusa place in Pasadena. I think it was on Lake Street or something. We used That's to love right. that spot. It was so good. And yeah. I was so nervous as the president uh, who brought in officers with no votes and was about to tell everyone, I'm changing the, I'm disbanding Amigos and I want to do LASA. I thought it's a there was fascist be, takeover. Oh, I thought there was going to be an upheaval. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not even joking. I thought there was going to be an upheaval and they were going to start a parallel organization, which is my ultimate fear. Because like that would not put us on the BSA track, although they right. did end up having sort of multiple organizations. Uh, as a young organization, it would have killed us. And there was only one defector, which I was so surprised at, who I won't name, and was not Damn. mad enough <laughs> to leave. But I like, did not like that we were changing <laughs> the name. And so they, I'm going to also keep the pronouns neutral uh, to not give anyone away. They, in the end, was like, were like, okay. And I was like, great. And that winter break, I locked myself in our apartment and I wrote the constitution and bylaws. And I was like, Rod, Jonathan, anything you want to add, anything you hate? Uh, I think we might've made, Jonathan probably had some ideas. I made some changes. I certainly did not. I'll tell you right now. (laughs) I don't think Rod would have cared about that stuff. And then like, we're like, all right, we're, we're launching LASA and this is our, these are our rules. But we did some, we actually ended up doing some really cool innovations and thinking about like leadership pipelines and all that. But I don't want to break up your flow. We can get to that when, when you want. Well, I'll also, I think it's a good, it's important to add like a little bit of context about like APU within. So I remember when we were at APU, I want to say the Latino population or percentage or whatever was maybe in the 10% ish realm. If I'm maybe, if I remember. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 Around there. Right. But I was like, hold on a second. That does not feel right because so many of our Latino students were commuter students, students who commuted. And I want to say that Mm. a lot of the people who were members of Amigos were not able. It's just when you live on campus, it's a very different level of like, I guess, commitment and presence Um, because there was no way that 10 percent of the students who lived on campus were Latino at that time. Not not a chance. So it's like I would remember see in my classes, I'd be like, oh, I've never seen that person before. Right. We're just students that were not often like on campus at those other events. And so that is like some some background too for like what the, even though we had like a higher number of, of, of students in terms of like the percentages, like the presence of Latino students was not high. And I also want to add that like, for those who are not familiar with like where APU is located, like it is an island of white in the middle of Azusa, which is like a very, very predominantly Latino city. Um, 99, when we were there, I looked it up once. It was like 90 nine point like five percent or something latino like it was a crazy high percentage right right and so you would literally like cross the street from campus at the now yeah. it's gotten a little bit gentrified i guess i, I know there's like a bunch of new things yeah. oh yeah you would literally cross the street. yeah mostly you cross, mostly yeah. right around apu ironically and ironically right right but you would cross the street into like and i remember like leaving campus to go to like the grocery store and be like oh like it, this is okay like this feels like a little bit more like home i guess or it just feels like there's more people that look like me and it because we were surrounded at, at that time so that's just some context to understand like our position within like the space and i would add one yep. more thing too yep. i think and i think this is 
um, something we had a lot in common with Apostle, and I know Scott, you and I, and all three of us have had conversations about this. At the time, especially at APU, the conversation around racism was very black and white. And mm-hmm. so last time when we were starting was feeling all these mixed feelings. Like on the one hand, all our homies were BSA. Like we were, we were all friends. And it was like, there was so much respect. They had literally just like generations of history that they had built out. Whereas Amigos had been kind of like this fledging organization. And we wanted to show that like racism isn't a black and white conversation. So at the same time as there was that contrast that Rod described when we left literally across the street from campus, on campus, anytime there was, the few times there were conversations about race, like it was black and white. There was, yeah, Latinos weren't there, Asian Americans weren't there, Native Americans, there was like, there's so much other nuance here um, that I think sort of like frustrated us even in the spaces where we were talking about race. Yeah, definitely. And that was a problem with the faculty too, even they would literally use terms like black and white <laughs> um, when talking about diversity. Um, so, so you start Lhasa and I remember this well, and, and I'll just say this and there'll be an episode about this, but Apostle kind of sucked. It was hard to, it was hard to get Asian kids to (laughs) get political uh, with a few, you know, notable exceptions like Sammy and, and a bunch of others. Um, uh, so the Dia de los Muertos incident, there'll, there'll be a big music cue for this. Dun, dun, dun. Dun dun dun. I can do better than that. Hang on, I'll come back with a proper Dia de los Muertos music cue. Um, whose idea was it to do the Dia de los Muertos? Do you guys say Dia de Muertos or Dia de los Muertos? It's the same thing. Either one. Okay. I say Dia de los Muertos, but yeah, they're both. Yeah. 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 Um I I I, I, I wanted I, I remember wanted, it was mine. <laughs> with that uh, probably, was Rod's. It probably wasn't me. Yeah, that's yeah, the skit show. Okay, yeah, I think it was me. I I know where it came. I don't. I, I know where it came from, and I like. And we'll obviously get into. But I I want to say that I remember, like, because at that time is when I was kind of reconnecting with that part of my culture. Like, my family's from Mexico, and like, mm-hmm. so I was starting to kind of re-embrace that. Um, and so when Rod started wearing shirts with Mexican flags on them, there was <laughs> there was it was a distinct change. Yes, in, yes, in the, in the Rod that I remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep, yeah. Yeah, so that, that I would say, like, I remember wanting to do that, and it was because, which we'll get into, is because uh, of the passing of Joe, and so that was it felt like yeah. a really good opportunity. So we should, I guess, talk about that. Oh yeah, uh, Joe Snell was the multi-ethnic programs director who was only there for a few years before he passed away suddenly, and left a big hole, um, in all, in the multi-ethnic programs. It, it never really recovered after that. You know what I remember? So there was the memorial for Joe. Yeah. And Rod, yeah. wasn't it you? It was you and some Latino students. It was probably you. Like decided to put candles like by MEP um, and specifically put like uh, La Vida in the Guadalupe, like, like more traditionally Catholic, like Latino tradition of candles. And that was sort of our first. And we knew, we both knew like people weren't going to feel good about this, but also knew like this isn't a, it wasn't meant to be a political action. It was like, Morning yeah. in a way that was genuine for Joe. And I was watching, like, is the administration going to let this happen? So I feel like that it was very little, Scott, and probably would yeah. have easily forgotten. But I do think no, yeah. that was like an important, when you mentioned Joe Rod, like an important sort of like transition into doing a bigger, like, the Los Muertos thing. Cause we had also kind of done a celebration of someone who passed um, just, you know, really tiny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, our listeners, all you know, a couple hundred of them, uh, should know being Catholic at APU was was really tough. Uh, most of the culture of the school was would debate if Catholics are even Christian. You know, <laughs> there's a big anti-Catholic vibe at at APU. So, yeah, okay. So naturally, as as you're growing in your identities and and Lhasa is growing, it seems perfectly normal to have a Dia de los Muertos thing. So, so you start planning an event. So what, what happened? 
So not an event. Um, it, it was so uh, yes, it's very common. A lot most college campuses then and now, like Dia de los Muertos, one of the organizations will in the middle of campus put up a giant ofrenda, and they'll have right. Usually, it's community people bring their stuff. Like it's very common, right? And yeah. Um. So it didn't. I remember being like, it doesn't feel like a big deal. Rod, <laughs> you should explain what an ofrenda is. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah, in the Dia de los Muertos traditions, um in a house or it, there's kind of different ways but people either go to the cemetery um to like visit the graves of of their loved ones and you would take um like candles um like certain kinds of flowers um sometimes like food um things that the people loved and there's like a deeper kind of like mythology behind it that some people ascribe to more than others which actually probably will get into into like what that probably where a lot of the, the pushback came from for most mm. people i would say mo everybody that i know it's a day where you just kind of choose to celebrate your loved ones who passed um and so um an ofrenda is something you would put up in your house ofrenda translates to like an offering um mm -hmm. but it, it's something where you again you put up a picture of your loved one if you have that food candles flowers traditionally on like november 1st and 2nd um and it's on those days and you just like remember them um mm -hmm. so that would be an ofrenda which became a Source of contention. <laughs> yeah, so we decided to say, okay, cool. We there was an area on, is an area on campus was I don't know if it's still there called Seven Palms, um, and there's like a nice little stage in the corner. So we said, how cool would it be if because Joe had just passed away, and Joe was such a huge part of the the community of, of students of color and, and people of color on campus. So and so this would be a really, really cool way to like do an offering and specifically to like honor like him, you know. And so. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, and we planned it out because in my my naive little brain, I was like, pushback did not was not a, was not a thing for me. I was like, there what pushback? Like, there is no pushback to be had. Like, we're not doing anything. I remember like we're probably not going to put up religious iconography. Like, it's just going to be you know the flowers and the candles and the you know the pretty the sarapes you know and and Joe and it was I didn't expect pushback, but you know my naive uh, self. <laughs> Breaking in. <laughs> Meanwhile, me, I was like, "When's the pushback going to happen?" <laughs> I was just like, "I was like, this for sure is going to cause uh, pushback. There's no way like this is going to not get a response." So I was just kind of like waiting, uh, r supporting Rod, and it's like awesome idea. And yeah. it also wasn't my cultural tradition, but I thought it was right. a beautiful tradition. So I was just yeah. like there supporting and just paying attention to figure out like when are we going to get pushed back and how are we going to respond to it is like how, what I was thinking simultaneously. Yeah. Matt's going to DEF CON 2. Uh, on, <laughs> um, I was a poli-sci major. I was always thinking about like, <laughs> the political side of this thing. Yeah. And, and that's really what happens, right? It's, it's as much evangelical, you know, their pseudo theology pushing back, but also the cultural and sociopolitical aspect of it. So when did the pushback start? What what was first? Okay, I think we can get away with this. The Dia de los Muertos incident. Change the guitar part so in the words so we should be okay it uh can we say names <laughs> yeah i mean if it's just stating a fact of what happened yeah it, i remember shino simons simmons mm -hmm. simons was the first mm -hmm. one to i don't know if she emailed us or called us in or and she was the first one to like tell us basically hey we have questions or reservations or something like that Matt, you might be able to fill in more of that, but I do remember she was the one who started it. No, I forgot about that. I'll, I forgot that's how it started, but that totally sounds right. And that's when, I don't know if she asked Jonathan or like one of us, it was like a, 
oh, more open under like, oh, what are you thinking? Like, can you explain it? And then one of us did, um, I think in her office, because it was like right in the center. And then that's where I think she emailed probably like Chuck. And then probably it got somehow to leadership. And they were like, no, you absolutely cannot do this. Um, it's not Christian, basically. Like it's 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 like actively non-Christian. <laughs> it is, they, use it, they use pagan. Pagan. They yeah, they said pagan. They said pagan. Yeah, pagan oh, was 100%. used in, in writing. In writing, pagan was used. If only we had screenshot back then or that. Uh, I was yeah. gonna say, Scott, uh, if the clause still has its archives up, there was a clause article that I think Meredith or Abby wrote. Yeah, I think that, Abby wrote Ab- Abby wrote it, yeah. And would have, I mean, Abby it. might even have the draft of it somewhere. I don't know. But like <laughs> it because it went through everything. It went through like how it happened, yeah. how it started, and the response. Yeah. Uh, so it would yeah, give yeah. you like the exact words. You can fact check us. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I don't I'm not doubting you at all. Taking the advice a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. I'm saying you should. <laughs> you guys are inebriated, so uh, uh yeah, you can't see the glass of wine I have in my hand. I'm no, no. Here. <laughs> um, so it, it there was they they met with you and they discussed, but ultimately they're like, no. Ultimately, no. Yeah. And this yeah. went all the way to the top. It sounds like, because mm-hmm. um, when they when they when they call a town hall meeting, that means some shit went down. Well, that, okay, this is where Rod, correct me if I'm. I don't remember these details. I think the sequence of events was they told us no. And we were like, hell no, <laughs> like, is that okay? <laughs> and that's when I think the clause article got written. Yeah. I want to say the clause article written was before the town hall. And I think I the clause article so. might have been part of why the town hall happened because then it moved from a small thing of Latino students upset. I think it was the front page of the clause newspaper. Like, newspaper. Um, yeah. And I think then the town hall happened, or I guess it could have been reversed, but that's what I remember. Rod, do you remember? Um, no, I don't remember that, but I do remember in between. Well, there, what we did do in response. So once they told us no, um, that was not the end of it. Like they told us no. And, and then the days passed and obviously it would have been, it would have feel pointless. It was right up against the week of, you know, November 1st. So this is, a, it has to happen by a certain point. Right. And I remember the answer was, was no. Um, and what we did do, I remember, was um, for chapel, Matt, this is going to be a throwback. For chapel, um, we decided, well, how do we still show, like, a level of something? So uh, a lot of us, like, went to chapel and we, like, wore traditional clothing and painted our faces. Yeah. Like, the calaveras, like, the skulls. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah. And we went to chapel all together. We met in front of campus and we sat, like, in a, at a high point in, on the West Campus Chapel in the bleachers yeah. near the front. And we went to chapel kind of, you know, as a form of, is that, is there a picture? I don't think there is. Uh, I, don't know I think there there's, is. I think there's a there's picture. There's gotta be, but yeah. that just the image of that must've just scared the shit out of everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was like, it was a good amount of us, you know, and that was our way of saying, cause that, I think that chapel was around those days. It was, you know, the closest yeah. chapel to, to the other Los Muertos. So, and meanwhile, um, we we're like celebrating all saints day. Like it was like very liturgical. Like I feel like APU's theology was getting like more liturgical influence. So like in the English chapel, we would talk about like all saints day and like this thing. And we we're like, what? Like you won't let us. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's okay to be white and do these things. Um, obviously. So, so the town hall, I just remember being so pissed. I walked out. Um, I felt like you, you guys were being completely disrespected. They trotted out the, the board member who, who was trying to be like, I'm one of you, but you know, you have to understand. And, and then they, they were trying to have it both ways. They were trying to say, we totally respect it and you, but no, (laughs) but we're going to, we're going to be disrespectful and shut it down. And I just, I was so mad that I was going to go up to that mic and curse out the president and the board member. So I, I just got up, I locked eyes with Wallace and I was just like shaking my head as I, as I walked out right in front of him. And uh, yeah. So h- how do you guys remember the, the town hall meeting? What were you feeling? I remember our argument, which is probably the like poli side debater in me, I, I feel like I tried to really simplify the argument in the town hall because like we had an mm-hmm. audience. As, 
Yeah. Remember, there was a lot actually, of people. There's there's a couple hundred people in that room. Yeah. At that point too, I think Lassa had done I don't know if I'm not mistaken, like oh I think our coffee house had already happened and it was like mm. massive. It was like yeah, four hundred it was like a crazy amount of people. So like we had been yeah. very active, I think, in like building a network. Um so we had an and we had I mean, again, like the other ethnic orgs, we were all awesome allies for each other. So like when mm -hmm. one thing went down that impacted any of us, like we all came down for each other. And so it yeah. 100% wasn't just us. Like it was the community coming out. But I remember the argument that I was trying to make. I still remember it. I was like, during the fall, our housing units like UTC sponsor bonfires. Like there was a bonfire event and we sponsor um we don't call them Halloween, but like dress up parties that are basically mm -hmm. around Halloween. And this is yeah. funded by school dollars. So the school is directly paying for white pagan traditions that have been kind of like normalized over time. Bonfires yeah. were for human sacrifices. Like uh, the Halloween is where dressing up comes from. But it yeah. was literally just saying, you can't do that because it's in Spanish. And it comes from Latino countries. Like that was the line of demarcation. It was different for us. And they could not get past Day of the Dead is pagan. A bonfire is not pagan. Like their they're, they're lenses. And that includes the board member and yeah. the president. Um, they believed it fully that they were different. And we absolutely disagreed. But Rod, that was one, that's all I was thinking about. Them, that's all I remember. One of them has even said like, you're right, but it's different, or something like, like, yeah. like I said, they're trying to have it both ways. And because we all, we both we all know now, there was they just couldn't because they'd have gotten trouble with their funders and the the board, and um, because racism, right? So yeah, Rod, you were, you were no, yeah, that, that's where that's, and I think that's I remember planning like, okay, we're gonna obviously all speak, and I think uh, uh, we all being Matt, myself, and Jonathan, like, and we all had very different like roles, kind of like Matt was very like vocal activist jonathan was very like embedded within like kind of the he was in the student government and you know like so he was very embedded kind of within you know leadership and i was just the i don't know what i was but i was i was there and loud and whatever and i think i spoke to like the cultural meaning matt spoke to the like really those arguments that were really strong like and very like true because and i remember i want to say matt that they did call things halloween they did call it halloween and they we did. were like, yeah. why do you, Halloween is a pagan rooted holiday. And they said, well, you know, what we can consider for the future is just not calling it Halloween. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, okay, well, I guess. We won't like, call it Day of the Dead. We're just building right. a table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're just putting up pretty flowers, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so that was like their response to that. But I, I think we, I think actually, Matt, you did a great job of like directly being like, do you like pointing out very obviously like, the uh, irony is not the word, but just the, the hypocrisy. The, the hypocrisy. Yeah. That's the word. The, the hypocrisy of it, because it was, and it like it was so obvious. Like there were Halloween costume, like which is like fine. Halloween's great, but don't tell me that that's we can't do one or the other. You know, we can't do one and we can do the other. Um, and then like, I forget. I don't know what Jonathan's approach was, but that was the like. Yeah, yeah that's kind but of. They did tell you that, <laughs> in a sense. They were just like, yeah, no. <laughs> as admirable as it was that the president and some administrators held those town hall meetings. The fact is, they clamped down on all the multi-ethnic orgs hard in the subsequent years. The students expressed feeling unsupported. The administration made promises to be better. And then they eventually censored all content in the ethnic orgs to keep them from expressing controversial views like wanting equality, being affirming of LGBTQ people, and taking down Christian nationalism. One of the leaders, I can't actually remember who it was. I want to say it was Terry Francis. I don't know. One of them said that he, cons well, I'm not, it was somebody, I don't know who it was, said that they consulted with the priest at um, St. Francis oh, at the yeah. church. And they, because they felt like, well, it wasn't, the priest was a Latino man and they like consulted him or whatever. So we can get into that. I was like, wait a minute, like, Dia de los Muertos is not a Catholic holiday. Why are you consulting a priest? Like, it, it's not a, it's not a, like, religious holiday. It was, I remember just being, it just felt so, like, irrelevant to me. Because the priest was yeah. like, well, yes, you know, there's some pagan roots. I'm like, yeah, there are some pagan roots. But, like, that's not, that's not the yeah. point. Like, that doesn't add Christmas. so many. Christmas. 
has Christmas pagan is roots. pagan. Like, I'm just yeah. like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and you go to Catholic churches, even now, most Catholic churches will have like a, the around in, at least in you know in Southern California will have the other los muertos ofrendas. They will prop sometimes omit a lot of like the death references, maybe like the skeleton, the skulls or whatever. But they will have like the yeah. you know the candles and the flowers and the pictures and like they'll still do that. So I'm like, it's not like it's foreign to you all. But it, I thought it was so interesting that they went to consult to with the the priest down the street, you know. And I was like, okay, well that's not really the point because yeah. we're not saying this is a Catholic holiday either. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm pretty sure it was Terry. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Terry. Yeah, sounds yeah. right. Yeah, they pulled out all the guns. You know, you know they were they were they didn't have a lot to stand on when they had to like make such a huge effort to to stop this. You know, they pulled out every stop that they possibly could. So you guys you had them shook. Think- That's what was so frustrating. Like they were just trying to have like because they didn't want to look like the bad guys shutting down. You know, Lhasa because at this point you have already leaped. Apostle Lhasa became like a, a powerhouse. Um, the activism that you guys did to me was had far out surpassed all the other ethnic orgs, and you guys were just getting started. I mean, you, you really stirred up shit to the point where they locked down the multi ethnic orgs. You guys, you assholes, got to go graduate and go on to your wonderful lives, and meanwhile. <laughs> the Ethnic orgs suddenly they're like, any event you have. You have to submit all the materials being performed, all the songs being sung. We need a list of the speakers and links to their their bios before. Otherwise, we're cutting funding and you're going to be on probation. Like Apostle went on probation. Uh, Whoa. (laughs) um, And and just before Matt, um, I was in a meeting planning some student event on campus and they literally said, they brought up Lhasa. Like, well, uh, what? How, how what are we going to do about Lhasa? <laughs> and that's when I knew, okay, Lhasa is the badass org. That's 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 setting the bar on campus. Um, yeah, I remember you telling yeah. me that the year after. Like I, I remember talking to you and you being like, "You have no idea how hard you made it for us." Because now <laughs> yeah. everyone's scared of what you did. But I want to say, like Rod said, like me and Jonathan's role in organization. I want to call out. I think Rod really was like the the cultural element in so many ways like rod doesn't really make like art or paint in a way like but he's like even his dorm part of the dorm room was like decked out like he was thinking a lot about like i think culture even the day of the dead arguing like what this culturally means like in for i feel like you were theology and you were like like anthropology kind of in one and like so even when we had events like the tables like thinking about the flow and sequence of performers i feel like rod played a really critical role from a leadership place and like how are we just like deeply and beautifully like manifesting our culture and like everything we do from a protest to like the even like painting faces to like a coffee house um and i do think that ended up being why because i unfortunately was very political we actually started a latino political org to do the advocacy in the first year. In the end, we rolled them all up, but I was so busy advocating and trying to change like policies. Like I would have forgotten about like a lot of super culture stuff. I mean, completely honest, like I wanted the objectives and I wanted to meet them. Like, I think Rod did a really good job of like, how are we ourselves through this? How are we celebrating? Um, We use familia a lot uh, at that time. Mm -hmm. And like, how are we making it a family? How are we coming together as a family? which was critical, I think, for our larger success. Thanks. (laughs) Shout out. Shout out to Rod, (laughs) the unsung hero. (laughs) The reality became that the town halls became, well, a reconnaissance for the administration and board of trustees to know the enemy and learn how to shut them down in order to preserve their funding from the various conservative places they got money. Town Hall after the Dia de los Muertos incident was a beautiful moment. Students of all races showed up to argue for Lhasa's right to have the ofrenda to honor Joe, even if the school was kind of a dick about it. What? Yeah. I mean, the honest truth is I don't tell people I went to APU. Um, ever since I got my master's, I say I went to USC. I'm wearing a USC hat. 
those on the podcast that, that can't hear this. And, but when people ask me, like they double down, like, oh, where did you go to undergrad? Um, I describe it as a, a small liberal arts college <laughs> in Northeast LA. Uh, where are you really but, from? <laughs> mostly because like, I don't want to get, because they're, they're one of two camps. Either they're Christian and they know yeah. about it. And then yeah. it turns into like a really awkward conversation. Like, yeah. where do you go to You're church? You're one of us. I don't want to deal with, uh, or they don't know about it anyway. Like they've never even heard of it. Yeah. Um, but I also say that to say, I, there's APU taught me that in the more oppressive, the majority culture is the doper, like subcultures get created. And yeah. I will say like some of the most brilliant people, brilliant peers I've met in my entire life. And like, since doing APU, Rod and I did teach for America. Like I went on to, I did Fulbright, got my master's, worked at Deloitte. Like I'm working with people that all went to IVs and stuff, right? The people we went to school with are still some of the most brilliant individuals I've ever met. And when, while other people were learning about critical race theory because their critical race professor who's trans was teaching them, we were learning, we were teaching ourselves like critical race theory. We were finding books that were like moving and deep and sharing them with each other. We were arguing with our professors in our work cited, like why they were wrong from like critical racial lenses because the entire school was built against it. So it's yeah. like this weird thing that the, the liberal arts answer is a little bit of those first two things. It's a little bit of a, I'm also like grateful I went there in a really yeah. Yeah. weird, morbid way. I am grateful you went there too. I <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I echo a lot of what Matt said. I think like, um, it was what, I, it, it was what I wanted when I went to college. Um, and I didn't know that it would change me in the way that it did. Um, I typically, I went to USC for graduate school as well. Um, and like at school, I'm a teacher, you know, and yeah, fight on. And, um, and like, as a, as a teacher, like my classroom says where I went to school and it says USC because that was his most recent. Um, mm -hmm. But and, like my life story, so to speak, always includes APU. Um, and yeah. so many people were like, wait, you went to APU? Like my husband, yeah. Nathan's always like, everybody he knows, he's like, I cannot believe you and blank, 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 blank. You went to like that school because he's been there before. Like he's been there for before for something else. And he was like, y'all went there? And he was just like so confused because like what Matt said, like so many badass people come out of that school because of these things. Like so many people that like we were formed without a choice, you know, and then you just meet people who are really like about it. Um, so I'm well, also- Well, you, you made the choice to to fight and to, to struggle for your, for your identities. So. Yeah. And like yeah. I met so many cool, and also not just students, but so many faculty members were so like, so great, like so down and so like, like a lot of faculty members felt like we were in the same, we were in the trenches together, you know? And I don't think that was most of them, but I was fortunate enough to like have my educational experience. Like I was in, you know, in biblical studies and theology department. And I felt like so many people were so influential in my journey as well. Um, yeah. So like, would I, would I do it again? No, <laughs> hell no. Um, but am I mad that it happened? Like, I'm like, I can't be because so many of the people that like, I love and respect so much to this day, like came from that part of my life, you know? And, um, indeed. And it, yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there again. <laughs> Rod, Rod said something at the top of the podcast about like Christianity and his relationship to Christianity. I will say that those professors, the faculty, um, are the only reason I still have respect for Christianity. Like mm -hmm. the ways in which their faith is directly, feeding their passion for making the world better. Even though I disagree, I don't think they're, the core assumptions of their faith are true. Um, I see the beauty like birthed from like their beliefs. And when they introduced us to like liberation theologies and like us reading like sort of the thoughts of these priests in Latin America and like, and, and like post-colonial biblical criticism, like these thinkers were really influential into just like how I think and see of the world. And in that way, mm -hmm. like I'm part of their lineage. Um, mm -hmm. But had I not been exposed to that by those faculty members, sometimes via Rod, cause Rod got exposed to it sometimes. No, it was always through Rod. Uh, cause I wasn't yeah. in any of those circles. Um, <laughs> it It's the reason I still am not just like completely disgusted by like the entire religion, because yeah. I do also know beautiful people who did extraordinary things 
because they've had this belief. And I'm just like, well, I respect them, even if I disagree yeah. with their beliefs. Matt Gonzalez was also a co-founder of the GSA that became Haven. Uh, you heard Abby mention him um, in a previous episode, I think last week's. So thanks again for tuning in this week. Uh, I want to thank Matt and Rod for taking the time to talk to me and go through all the shit that they went through. We'll see you next week. This episode was brought to you by a kinder, gentler white supremacy, where BIPOC people can win an argument and still lose. <laughs>